Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 129. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher in Massachusetts. And on this episode of Life of School, we're going to go back in time. We're going to um, do a a re-release of episode number one of Life of the School, where I had on uh, my uh, what I often call my work husband, uh, Brian Dempsey, uh, as my as my guest. Um, but uh, I, what we're going to do before the hand is that uh, I'm going to bring Brian back on, and we're going to talk a little bit about how this podcast has sort of changed um, our practice. It's something I think about a lot of like how it's changed my practice. But in reality, uh, Brian and I are sort of one in the same in school in a lot of ways that we work together so closely. And so it, as I was thinking about that, I thought it would be a cool thing uh, to re-release that episode one, uh, but also bring Brian on and have a quick conversation. So, so welcome, Brian. Hey, Aaron. Thanks for having me back. It's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. A while for you being on the episode, uh, about 45 minutes since we uh, talked curriculum. <laughs> though. So, so uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So we're, we're about six years ago is when I first conceived of the podcast as an idea. Um, it was like when I had come up with the idea that I thought I wanted to do a podcast and I sort of worked it out, workshopped it out through the winter. And then I started like registering sites and stuff like that in the early spring. But it was, it was right around this time. It was the beginning of the school year, about six years ago that I, I had first had the idea that this might be something I wanted to do. Um, and I brought you on. So I, I'm, I'm curious sort of your perspective of like, I, I asked you to be on that show and like, I don't even know, did you even know like, podcast did you listen to podcasts what were your thoughts so i was never a bit i never listened to a lot of podcasts i, I actually live close to the high school so i'm not in my car a lot and when i'm home I'm, I'm tending to do other things often outside but you know one thing i've really noticed just by you being part of this larger worldwide community through your podcast is how it's influenced your teaching and therefore my teaching because as you said earlier we're we're often you know we're in shared minds in many ways, just from our communication and our work. And and I really appreciated all the things that you've picked up from this community of, of sort of biology learners and, and teachers. And I think it's definitely had an impact on on my teaching. And I think the 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 culture within our you know biology kind of realm at, at AB at mm -hmm. Acton Boxborough. So it's been really uh, huge. And I and um and I'm hoping you know maybe some of that's been two way too. That's what sort of what we do you've been able to communicate that to other learners um, in the community as well. Yeah, it, it's very, I think it's hard for people to sort of understand our dynamic um, because I think it's, um, I think the right word would probably be sort of like, we're both cooperative and collaborative, but we're also a little antagonistic. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but <laughs> yeah. in the way that like, and for a long, long time, we had this relationship where we used to like sort of battle it out a little bit. Like sure. one of us would have an idea and, and then the other one of us would sort of like, you know, we, we would just sort of, we would argue about things. Um, I definitely think that we push each other. Um, we push each other. I mean, the, there's really no other better way to say it, but it's not a real, it's not in a negative way. Uh, I think when we first started teaching together, it probably was more negative and, and contentious because, uh, you know, it took us years to sort of build up sort of the trusting relationship. And also like we had to age and become like, more mature people. And I can only speak for myself. I had to mature and become a more. I, I think, I think it goes both ways. We were both in our twenties 
where I was maybe in my early 30s by the time you came on, but I was still, you know, kind of learning who I was as a teacher, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, even more so, I was like learning who I was as both a teacher and as like a person. I mean, you know, sure. uh, you know, you go through a couple of decades and you you pick a lot up. Um, but I, you know, I was funny. I was just talking uh, to somebody else about this, about like the components of having like a collaborative relationship is that you, there there has to be a lot of like um, – like humility, humility, and like you have to be humble about things, and you have to be vulnerable about things, and you know, really, twenty seven, twenty eight year old me was very afraid to like not know things or to, yes. to to seed ground on like an argument, like you know, that just that's just basic, you know, growing up and maturing. But um, you bring a wealth of perspectives that are different than mine, and you have these interactions with kids that you know are just diverse and and while we have some similarities, we bring diverse experiences and backgrounds and, and conversations with kids. And then we're, it allows us to come into a conversation about, you know, a lab series or how the kids are perceiving something or when they're struggling on something and, and, and then have a conversation about, you know, like, this is the feedback I'm getting from my kids around. We designed it to do X and this is what I'm getting back from the kids. We're hitting these points. We're missing these points. Um, and I definitely think the podcast has been a huge component of that because it's opened up the world from, you know, where I think we were in a pretty good place five or six years ago. It was just like you and I and like, you know, one other teacher um, who's now an administrator <laughs> having conversations about teaching. Yeah. And now it's a dialogue where it, it's a conversation where we're talking to like there are dozens of people who come in and it's like all of a sudden it's like, well, but wait a minute. What if I bring in this idea that I got from you know, Lee Ferguson or, or this idea from Paul Strode, or you'll ask me a question. I was like, well, what if we do that? And I'm like, oh, I think I heard somebody talk about doing something like that. Let's, let's go down this pathway. Um, and I think for me, it's provided me a lot of freedom along the lines of, oh, there's not like a way to do what we do. There are so many different ways to do what we do. And yeah. the best thing, the best thing to do is experiment. Yeah, I mean, I, we, I was talking to my my students today about you know the idea of a gene pool and and genetic bottleneck and all this, and it just made me think that you basically increased our gene pool, you know, <laughs> dramatically, where we have just so many resources where we can draw from and you know conjugate, so to speak, um, <laughs> horizontal gene transfer. Um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely think that <clears throat> this community of learners has grown so much through this this community you've built through the podcast. So that, I think that's been tremendous and you know and kind of going back to your your conversation about the or reflecting on on sort of this growth of teaching i i think we both have grown with this ability that we're willing to to fail mm -hmm. as we ask our own students to, to fail and but i think that you can't get better unless you have that willingness to kind of let go and to try things and maybe it doesn't work but you know by by us getting these different ideas from you know different groups that we work with and trying something out, hey, it fails, but look at all the things we've been able to, to kind of learn from that. So that, that's been a big part of my growth. Yeah. And it's funny because I think that I had gotten to that point about being happy with like when things failed, like right before I started the podcast, like the, the idea of like, we'd run a transformation lab and like, it wouldn't work at all. And it'd be like, great. And then I would go into my class and have this like amazing conversation about error analysis or, yeah. or like I went to you and said, I know you've tried Wabakia like seven times, but why don't we try <laughs> Wabakia again? Um, and sure enough, yeah. we were able to, to figure out how to, how to get PCR to work and, and do that. And, and the first time we tried that after we rekindled it, I think what we got one group out of like seven classes that got a band. Yeah, like, <laughs> um, absolutely.
But now, you know, the Wabaki example is good because now you have a lot of other people that have tried it and, you know, we can reach out and, you know, what works for them and what doesn't and so forth. So, yeah, it's been great. I think the the listen for maybe listeners is, is you know, to be able to expand to a community um, and, and work with those people. You know, for me, historically, it's been like we have the Massachusetts Association of Biology Teachers. You know, you've been more involved in NABT. And, and just, you know, for, for teachers to just get outside of, of your own school and, and try to connect with other people, I think has so many benefits. Yeah. And also know that it, it takes time. And I think there's a, a certain impatience. I think, you know, younger me was very impatient, like wanted to get better, wanted to work on things. And, and one things to I wanted things to work like I wanted to like to walk in the classroom and do a thing and it and it just like work. Yeah. And the reality is, is that I think everything that we do even the stuff that's like, like, I think is sort of cornerstone, like really successfully, like we're probably on like the fourth iteration of what we're doing. And it may not, may not even be perfect now, like whether it's our, like our, our practice essays, our formative essays that we do in AP biology, like, like I got that idea because of the podcast, you know, talking to you know, Brittany Franciak yeah. and then, and then we tweaked it and we did a version of it and then we tweaked it again and then we tweaked it during the pandemic. And, and I think we tweaked it again this year, like, and we worked on, you know, new things, like it's still this emerging and I don't think they're done, but like, we're doing this thing. It's a big cornerstone to how we're teaching AP biology and we're on our, you know, at least fourth or fifth iteration of what this thing looks like. Um, and it's that incremental progress that's been so, so, so rewarding. Um, sure. Which uh, I think, again, sort of talking to the maturity, I think <laughs> if, if you want it to be done right, it, you're going to have to accept that you're going to fail a few times or struggle and yeah. minimal success sometimes. Yeah. I think the take home lesson is to be comfortable with discomfort. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I a hundred percent agree. All right. Well, uh, I, Brian, I appreciate you, you popping on here and, and you, even with our uh, little technical glitches, um, which I will, uh, clean up in most of the post. Thank you. Thank you with your, your edit, your editorial wizardry. That will be yeah. useful. <laughs> yeah. You had it earlier. I was showing you with yesterday or was the day before I was showing you a video I made and you're like, how did you get that audio? And I was like, Oh, I just did this thing. Like that's the other, that's the other thing I don't think I appreciated when I started doing this. Like I didn't know I was going to flip our old classrooms and, and then teach our department how to make flip, <laughs> flip videos yeah, and stuff like that. I know so the, those skills have come in handy quite a bit making the podcast, but um, it's becoming part of the culture though, for sure. I would say is, is, is some, a lot of this integration of the technology. And I think the pandemic has certainly spurred us to move forward. Yeah, but no, I, I appreciate it. So I hope everybody uh, enjoys this. I'm going to drop, uh, as I said, I'm going to drop episode one, which is uh, about a 45 minute conversation with a uh, much younger me and much uh, younger Brian, uh, or maybe just a little bit younger Brian, but I'm much, much younger. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I hope you enjoy this so you can hear sort of like where this all started. And then we'll be back in November with, uh, with panel episodes again. Um, I got a, very excited about the panel and um, uh, a great uh, group of teachers for, for our November episode is very lined up. So uh, thanks for joining me, Brian, and I hope everybody enjoys the episode. All right. Thank you, Aaron. Hello and welcome to the Life of the School podcast. My name is Aaron Matthew and I am a biology teacher at Acton Boxborough Regional High School in Acton, Massachusetts. In this podcast, I plan to sit down and have conversations with fellow life science teachers from around the country. 
Uh, over the past 20 years as I've been a teacher, I've had the great fortune through a variety of different ways, whether it was at conferences or, you know, at various workshops, professional development opportunities, or even within my own school to talk to amazing biology teachers. And every time I have these conversations with them, I, I get so inspired. I hear about their background, what they did before they became a teacher and what they're doing with their students now and the things that they're trying to work on to, to become better at what they do. And as I, as I hear these conversations and I get excited, I wanted to ultimately share uh, that excitement and energy that I, I keep getting from these conversations. And so that inspired this podcast. So uh, I'm very fortunate that I was able to sit down with my colleague, fellow Acton Boxborough biology teacher, Brian Dempsey, for my first show. So Brian is the current Massachusetts Association of Biology Teachers president. He is a teacher here, as I said, at Acton Boxborough Regional High School. And during his 20-year teaching career, Brian has spent several of his summers conducting research at local universities, including examination of phylogenetic relationships of local fungi at Clark University, Wolbachia infection of mosquitoes in a partnership with Marine Biological Lab down at Woods Hole, and receptors used by Leishmania parasites at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. In 2006, Brian was named the Outstanding Biology Teacher of Massachusetts. In 2009, he received the Amgen Award for Science Teaching Excellence, and he has successfully written grants uh, totaling in excess of $20,000, which we've used to buy biotechnology equipment here at the high school. He's also authored papers in the American Biology Teacher and the Science Teacher. Welcome, Brian. Thank you very much, Aaron. Uh, so um, let's just get started. I want to hear a little bit about you know, how did you end up becoming a biology teacher? Yeah. Well, when I was an undergraduate at UMass Amherst, um, I was actually interested in primatology. Uh, and spent a couple years working with a rhesus macaque uh, colony that we had there. And uh, toward the end of my, uh, in my senior year, I was also uh, a teaching assistant for anatomy and physiology. And doing both of those things at the same time, my interest started to be pulled more toward the teaching end of things. I had my own uh, class of about 25 um, undergraduates, even though I was still in college myself. And I just found that that to, to be more fun and uh, interesting. And the research part of it, I, I still enjoy, you know, today. But I wanted to um, focus my interest more broadly and uh, share that with students. And I, I felt like working um, doing the research just individually was not as satisfying for me. So did you, you went to UMass Amherst yeah. and then... Um, did you transition right from UMass into the high school setting, or did you have any bridges in between the two? Right. So um, after uh, I went to uh, UMass Amherst, I went to work at the Museum of Science for a couple years, um, and I was I did the lightning show, um, a snake show. I also worked in what was then the Sun Lab, which is now the butterfly um, exhibit, um, and. Uh, then I went to go get my master's degree at Boston University, and then in 1996, uh, 20 years ago, I came to Acton-Boxborough. Nice. So you were in the the big lightning uh, thing at the Museum of Science. So anybody who's been at the Museum of Science knows that a guy <laughs> stands in a in a big cage and has it uh, struck by lightning. I'm sure that. Uh, yes, I did have one mishap once. I did have my <laughs> finger slightly through the bar, and I did, did get a little jolt once. <laughs> I'm sure it was more than a little jolt, but <laughs> I survived. Yes. Uh, 
So uh, when I think of you as a teacher and somebody who's collaborated before, you know, I, I frequently make the joke, you know, if we sort of were left our own devices, you know, your classroom, you know, the way you teach, you do 75% of the year would be about evolution and then you'd cram everything else in and the other 25%. <laughs> and, you know, I'd be guilty in my own ways of, of doing some molecular stuff. But, you know, what really are the things that, that you get most excited about teaching throughout the year? Right. Well, as a kid, I was one of those dinosaur little nerdy kids, um, which I think partly led to my interest in biology. So I think that's kind of an emotional point where I kind of launch from. But um, to me, evolution, and I think a lot of biology teachers would feel the same way, really integrates into so many different fields within biology, whether it be molecular or ecology and so forth. Um, and so, in fact, I'm teaching a class this summer. It's an elective. It's called... Um, uh, molecular and evolutionary biology. And so one of the things we're going to do to starting off right away is we're going to um, look at kids' mitochondrial DNA. So I'm, I'm going to try that lab out for the first time. Uh, I know Amgen has a, a series of labs that they put out with high school, uh, and one of our um, colleagues, Jake Barnett, is going to be uh, working on that. So I'm hoping to kind of pick his brain and get some resources to do that with the students this summer. Um, so, and... I think in terms of skills, I think that um, evolution really hits a lot upon a lot of those skills that we, we try to emphasize with students. So whether it be, you know, in the case of mitochondrial DNA, um, the molecular skills, um, we might be doing some bioinformatics, um, cladistics and tree reading, things like that. Yeah, it also hits on, I, I think that one of the best things about uh, evolution is you have two components. Uh, one, it does give you an opportunity that there's a really well-established uh, field of misconceptions. Um, and so it allows you to do some of that deconstructing, you know, the misconceptions and building up the ideas um, of what really is in true, you know, truly the scientific foundations, but also the nature of science. Um, you know, it's great to talk about Darwin, but then also talk about, you know, where he was wrong about certain things, you know, his idea of gradualism and how he had certain things he had firm foundation on. But just because Darwin said something, it did not make it, you know, dogma. It did not make it right. canon and that the nature of science is to change and be reevaluated as new evidence comes about. So I, I agree, you know, as we look at all of the different fields, there's opportunities to look at the, you know, the tentative nature of science, even when the greats of biology put forth their ideas, there's still a scrutiny and a tentative nature that comes with exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. And, 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 and identifying those misconceptions, I think, is a key part of teaching, whether it be evolution or other, other topics. And, and evolution just lends itself particularly well because I think students come in with, with some baggage that they might not otherwise come in with other topics. Yeah, so when you... Um you know, when you sit down and you're planning things out, you know, you, we all have our, our sort of tools we like to go to. Um, are there any, you know, favorite strategies you like to use in the classroom? Um, you know, either old school strategies or something maybe more technical that you've been playing with? Uh, old school, um, I, I feel like microscopy is, is still very useful for students to do. Um, assessing that can be a challenge. Um, here at AB, we do a, a lab practical, but I know, Aaron, you're, you're involved in that as well. Um, and some, some other things that, um, that are a little bit more technical that we've been doing recently is, um, is, uh, PCR. Uh, we actually, um, actually Aaron was involved in this <laughs> as well, where we had students go out and collect insects, uh, to potentially look for a type of, um, bacteria called Wolbachia. And so the students were outside with nets and, you know, spent maybe about 45 minutes outside. And we put the insects into alcohol 
And then the next day they did a DNA extraction where we were able to uh, successfully um, get um, DNA after uh, we amplified it. And, uh, and then once we did that, we were able to then run a gel and we actually found that our, our insects that we collected did in fact have Wolbachia, several of them actually. And we ran a control just to be sure that we were getting, um, sometimes when students don't get Wolbachia, it's possible that's because they didn't do the extraction correct or some other step may have, uh, didn't occur correctly. So we also looked for um, a type of um, DNA in the mitochondria of the insects. And so we were able to get sort of a double band in that approach. So using both sort of traditional and newer techniques, it's, it's always fun. Uh, biology is a, a changing field and it kind of challenges us as educators to, to keep abreast of that and to kind of play basically with our students. Yeah, and that, I think that also is that highlight of, you know, you really te using the lab to teach a lot of different things. So, you know, it's one thing to stand up and lecture about the importance of control, you know, about design and that sort of thing. It's another thing to do a big investigation like that and then ask the questions, well, you know, what happens if we don't have this control or what's the advantage? Um, yeah, it was it was really good to see. I mean, the the gels were amazing. I mean, I'll have to drop some pictures of the, of your class's gels in there. Um, and I actually had one of my classes that was very successful, but for whatever reason, our um, our Wolbachia control didn't come through. Our Wolbachia amplification didn't work. So I had this lovely uh, gel of all of these bands for the insects, showing that the kids did a nice ex uh, you know extraction, and pretty much all the samples, including the uh, the control samples, you know, got those nice bands. But we didn't get any Wolbachia bands for the for the gene within the Wolbachia, which makes me think, well, we just you know maybe made a pipetting error with our primers or something like that. So it it opened up a lot of great dis discussion about the nature of science right. um, that that hit out there. Uh, so I, you know I had the I had the good fortune and uh, you know fairly recently to be asked you know sort of what my aha moments were in 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 teaching you know things that have changed and shifted the way we approach things. Um, you know, I guess the question is, have you had any, or where do you get your aha moments? Like when you start to see things in a different way or things that you've had that have caused you to shift your thinking and your approach to teaching? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it sort of comes from two angles. I would say it's working with other teachers, especially I enjoy working with teachers that, you know, are, think a little bit differently and challenge themselves. Uh, and, and they're always bringing me fresh insights, and I'll give you some examples of that in a moment. And then also working, um, just getting ideas from what my students have to say. Um, this year we gave kids a student survey, and one of the feedback uh, points were, uh, was that I went too slow over some topics. And so to give you an example of, you know, talking with colleagues and some ideas, speaking with you, Aaron, here. <laughs> um, Aaron, you've, you've shared an idea called peer instruction with me where uh, you do a survey, and, and one way to do that is, you know, raise kids, you present a question to the students, they answer it by um, maybe A, B, C, or D, and they could show fingers, number one, one finger for A, two fingers for B, and so forth. And you can kind of get an idea where students' ideas are, and, and if most of the students are getting the ideas correctly, maybe move on um, and, and not focus on that topic so much. So we tried doing some of that uh, this year, and um, I think maybe next year we're looking at um, using some uh, apps um, that Aaron you found um, that we might be able to, yeah. to try it with our kids. I used uh, I used the Plickers this year um, as a as a twist with that. So I'll put a I'll put a link in uh, my show notes. But basically the paper Clickers version and and the kids the kids liked it and you know it was, uh, they they definitely picked up. But um, 
I think sort of thinking of the traditional way, we sort of have always laid out, you know, these are our PowerPoint notes and, and these are the challenge questions we're going to do. And, um, you know, we have a colleague who has asked the question, why do we put the challenge problems at the end? Maybe we should take our challenge problems and put them at the front. And mm -hmm. then maybe if we go through the challenge problems and the majority of the kids are getting the questions right, we don't need to necessarily go through all of the, you know, the quote unquote lecture notes, you know, even though our lecture notes are not as much direct instruction as much as, uh, you know, discussion questions. I do feel that at times we belabor the point of, you know, we ask them to do homework and we ask them to show their work and, you know, write down the, these information and then they come to class and then we tell them the same information that they wrote down. If you use those things like a peer instruction method and you have that opportunity to ask them, do you understand this? And they can show you in that formative way that they understand it. Maybe we are wasting a little bit of time. Maybe we can, that's the, those are the moments where we can, you know, we're just looking at how do we get more hands-on activities? How do we get the time to do more of that? Maybe that's the, maybe that's that answer. How do we get there? Um, right. So you were saying, uh, you know, some of the other, you know, yes. tool, so, tools. Yes, yeah, some other tools. So um, I'm also involved in a, an organization called uh, Outstanding Biology Teacher, um, and it's a national program, and each state has uh, a director. So I'm involved in that. I had a chance to um, uh, t to visit a couple outstanding uh, teachers to see what they were doing in their classrooms. And uh, so uh, one teacher I, I got a chance to visit, uh, Don Pinkerton at uh, Revere High School, was doing a a mitochondrial DNA extraction with the students and then they were sending that in to get um, a blast sequence and then ultimately or they were gonna get the DNA and then they were gonna do the blast in the classroom and then analyze to see who was related to who and I thought that what a great hook that would be as a way of introducing evolution and so uh, in order, it, having the opportunity to meet different teachers through uh, organizations like the Massachusetts Association of Biology Teachers and OBTA and so forth, it's given me a great opportunity to kind of um, see the best practices around and, and, and try to incorporate some of that into my own teaching. Yeah, and I, I echo that. It's, it's always funny, you know, I, Brian and I are almost inseparable in this building. We kind of teach in the same room. We teach the same uh, you know, same stuff, and we're always talking. And then we go out to these conferences. We go out to like the MABT conference, and and it's or we go to the you know NABT conference this year. And it's always so funny how like these different worlds, because we do have different worlds outside. But I personally feel like when we go there, like everybody knows Brian. <laughs> like every like we go, you know, everybody seems to know him when we go out, or when I go out and meet other people, particularly in Massachusetts, everybody knows knows Brian because you're always been out there and you've been out there for a long time. Uh, connecting with other teachers and there it's a very different we run in different circles so it's I know at the NABT it, it was kind of the uh, you know <laughs> my circles from all around the country right, were right. coming in and we were running into each other even though we weren't that far from uh, where we teach um, but it's, it is it, you do get these insights um, I think that you can get a little bit trapped in your own bubble right in the building and even you know we talk about it I, I was joking with my students uh, just the other day when I was surveying um, our, our juniors after our seniors had left for AP and I, I asked them you know uh, you know some of the highlights and one of the students was talking about how you know we have these discussions after the tests and sometimes we, we agree on their points and we give them points back and one of the students says that's really weird uh, you know other teachers don't do that and I, mm -hmm. I made the point that like you know the only real person I have that checks the tests is, is you know is you and so the two of us work together and like really our perspectives are not that different right. you know we, we work together for a long time we see things and when the kids read questions sometimes their reading of the question is a misconception but sometimes it's a valid 
reading of the wording and that, you know, maybe we haven't provided them with the depth or even they have new insight because of something and they read the question in a different way. And um, I know that when you go outside the building, you get these different perspectives. You know, we do have the we do have some pretty sharp students as well. Right who give us that challenge, but uh, it's amazing to get those, uh, you know, that check from outside the building. Right. So that's really great. Um, so um, I'm gonna ask, you know, you're not teaching, you know, you mentioned when you were a little kid, you were, I know that you always tell the stories about finding various fossils or, you know, finding skulls of things or things like that. You're, when you're not in the classroom, you know, where, what do we, what do we find you doing? Uh, well, being out, I'm definitely love being outside. Um, when I get home, my form of relaxation is to just go outside and uh, I enjoy gardening, um, mostly perennial gardening right now, but I hope to be do some vegetable gardening. Um, when I can make get a little more sunshine in a particular area I'm going to be working on. But, um, and I think that that love of outdoors, you know, that comes from just sort of a, uh, a childhood, uh, experiences of, of growing up in, in, in a wooded area. Um, and I, I try to share some of that with my own students. Um, I actually had a couple girls come in with a, a possum that they'd found and they asked if they could bring it in and uh, get its skeleton because we actually have a little program to do that with some beetles called domestic beetles. And uh, so I said, sure, bring it in. We put it in the freezer just to kind of kill off some of the uh, potential parasites that might be uh, kind of nasty. And then after a couple weeks in the freezer, they pulled it out and we let it thaw out. And I suited them up with uh, a little pl plastic aprons, gloves, masks, um, and even goggles. And they uh, dissected it outside in the woods right near the high school, took off its skin, the innards, and uh, then we put it back in the freezer. And now it's uh, in, we have a hood so it doesn't get real stinky. And the dermestids are busy, busily uh, chewing down on the, uh, the carcass. And the girls are going to come back and collect their skeleton, um, the, the skeleton of the possum, um, in a couple weeks. So that kind of experience is kind of fun for me because we actually, uh, Aaron here and I both went to UMass Amherst where we had a really inspiring teacher, uh, Dr. Klingener, uh, that um, would encourage students to collect roadkill. And he w we would get the skeletons. And so I actually participated in that. And I always thought it'd be fun to do that for students here at AB. And uh, I think it's fun we can do that for them. Yeah, it is one of the creepiest side <laughs> projects. And, you know, when he says doesn't smell that much, I will say <laughs> it depends on the day. Uh, so, But it is in there. I, you know, the other funny thing I was thinking about is like, well, but how do you test that? Um, so, <laughs> you know, it, it is really it is really interesting to see, you know, the passions of the kids come out and that sort of thing. And we do actually now have a pretty large cache of these skeletons that you can't you can't actually bring into your classroom and and ask some questions in there. But you never know the hook. You know, the, these kind of hooks are the kind of things that you never know how you're going to inspire a kid down the line to to go into something. You know, we yeah. may be having, you know, some future forensics, you know, forensic pathologists, you know, that are learning about all of this stuff now and, and down the line they're going to be excited about this and right. in some other way. Yeah, I think I think a lot of those kind of exciting kind of moments that you have with kids are not necessarily going to be in the classroom. It's sort of, you know, that kind of relationship that you build with kids. Um, and, you know, this girl I actually had last year and she just emailed me and, you know, I've been working with her um, and, and some of her friends um, just outside of the classroom. And so I think, you know, it doesn't always have to be a classroom situation where you, you have that kind of connection. Yeah, you definitely. I mean, it, it, I mean, we're not alone in this way, but that that bridge or that that line of where does the classroom end, and you know, 
that that line seems to get more and more blurred every year that mm-hmm. you know you're just out doing stuff and it all seems to tie together this there isn't less of a separate you know less of a wall than it used to be it used to be you know you have your classroom and teacher classroom and you leave but you see all these things outside you know whether you're gardening or you know um, I know myself I get distracted sometimes on you know I'm out trail running and it's like distracting and I'm notice like there's an apple tree and I'm like <laughs> wait a minute there's an apple tree I wonder if there's any you know morals that are out now because like we just had a heavy rain it, like like I find myself stopping my watch and getting distracted uh, by yeah you know, like, <laughs> I'm yeah. surprised you're not actually stopping periodically with yeah. all the things you might be seeing during the, in the woods yeah right? well I mean it, it, it is funny like every once in a while you get Get, you know, uh, you do get encounters with nature in some of these places, but um, you, you, the, your mind starts to sort of wander and drift a little bit, and you're, you start putting the pieces together. Um, and I think that excitement—it's really easy that you can. It's almost like you accidentally mention to students these these things, and they they get excited about it. Like the student who you don't even have, they had this idea. And they're not in your classroom now, but they still thought, oh, you know who I'll ask. And they right. came back to you because of that, that connection or excitement for right. things that you're interested in outside yeah. of the classroom. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, one of the things uh, that I notice is that, um, you know, there's sort of an ebb and flow a little bit with your career. But I, I feel like at the end of every year, you know, sometimes the conversation is like, oh, God, the school, thank God the school year is over. But I haven't felt that. The last few years I've been like, Oh, I can't wait till next year starts because like for me, the school year ending is an opportunity to reboot for next year and like looking forward to things that I want to try or, or the opportunities that are coming down. And they may, may not even be something that's one year down the line. It's a I can see something that's three years from now, four years from now. This is what these are going to look like. Are, are there any things in, in particular that you're really looking forward to in your classroom? Yeah, I mean, I, for me, the, the summers are, are, are a time to kind of uh, get creative and reflect um, and it doesn't mean that um, that has to mean going to the beach and totally turning my back on the school. In fact, um, you know, I feel like um, if you're doing something you love, you never work a day in your life. I know that's a corny expression, but it, but there's a lot of truth to that. And so um, in, in the summers, I'm often doing some form of uh work. Um, the last couple of years, I've actually been teaching a, a research class for students that want to do the science fair. And um, I'm also teaching a, a new offering this summer called, uh, I mentioned earlier, Molecular and Evolutionary Biology. And uh, I'm going to be using some of the things that I, I developed from that latter class um, to to bring into a, a new class I'll be teaching next year called Fundamentals, where we're going to start off with that mitochondrial DNA lab I was mentioning earlier. Um, and so I am really looking forward to trying that out with, with these students. Um, these students are uh, in a, sort of a different group that I've taught than I've taught before. Um, some of them have had some struggles academically, um, and I'm hoping that um, doing these kinds of uh, labs where they're actually looking at information from themselves, I think might be a really a, a great way to um, entice them and, and get them kind of curious and, and to kind of move forward. Yeah, this group is sort of you know, the the other end of the spectrum from our you know AP students who, you know, for the most part when they come to the high school, they're they've had a lot of academic success. You know, the AP students are honors students. Um, you know, I work with a, a group of alternative program kids who um, have faced a different set of challenges. Uh, I think uh, that's the best way to say it. Um, but it's it'll be it'll be interesting. I, I know it's going to be a challenge having shared some of that experience and we've worked together in the alternative program a few years that it's it's not always easy to plan um but it it can be really exciting when you when you hook a student who is traditionally not hooked by school that that for them school is 
or it has been at least in the past has been this you know really challenging thing and and they it's not a place where they get a lot of wins so um it'll be it'll be exciting to see how the various things you try and some of them are going to be pretty technical so it'll be it'll be curious to see how you can you know scaffold all that stuff and see if you can get them hooked and see where that interest is and and see how you can um pull those basic concepts that are ultimately your responsibility to right, teach right. Um, in the context of some of those exciting Right, right. Ideas. We do have standards we have to follow here in Massachusetts with MCAS, um, but I feel like that um, I'm going to be able to, to, to really go into, you know, under, having kids understand what DNA is after, after they've had a chance to look at their own DNA and, and it'll put a context rather than, you know, kind of just dry and me lecturing about it, so... Yeah, and I, w I will say personally, I don't know the last time I did a PowerPoint lecture with my alternative program. Yeah. Uh, I don't, it, that that doesn't work. So you do have to, you know, develop and extend some of your bag of tricks. Sure. So I'm I'm excited about it. I, I've definitely have done some some more in depth, um, hand, you know, molecular type labs uh, in the alternative setting. They're different groups. The the ones that I work with, the students I work with, and their struggles are definitely different than the fundamentals. So I I'm 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 looking forward to hearing sort of what those points are, because I think that um, the bag of tricks you develop in there are, are not just going to be good for those students, they're good for all students. Right. Um, that's not to say that, you know, our honors kids get a ton out of our lecture. Uh, they're, they're very good students, <laughs> and they, they uh, you know, sometimes I feel like they humor us through lecture where uh, there are better ways of, of helping sure. them learn. Yeah, there's many tools. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's there. So um, I... I Thank you for letting me interview you, but you know I, I now have barraged you with questions. Do you have any questions for me? Um, well, I just feel like you know at AB, we're, I feel like we're really lucky that we have lots of uh, people with their own expertise. And, and uh, Aaron, I'm glad that you, Aaron's passions with molecular biology, of uh, he's worked continuously on, such as that Wolbachia lab I, I mentioned earlier, and uh, not really a question, just just some gratitude. <laughs> So, yeah. Well, thank you, Brian. I guess it's it probably easier for people who don't work with me every day to ask me questions because <laughs> we just banter all the time. Uh, so uh, at this point, I want to have an opportunity to give my guests a chance to uh, provide a pick, you know, something that they're, you know, that that's hit them recently, you know, a resource or something that's grabbed your attention. Um, you know, I've got my own ideas. Uh, Brian, anything that has grabbed your attention recently? Uh, actually, a book I picked up uh, a couple years back. It's called The Sixth Extinction um, by Elizabeth uh, Cor Corbet. Um, and that class I'll be teaching with evolution this summer, I think, would be a nice kind of framework to having kids think about how evolution really is important in, in their lives in terms of are we you know, causing the sixth extinction right now? And what are the factors that, that are leading to that? Uh, and, of course, that gets into things like climate change and alternative energy and so forth. So... I think there's many ways that we can kind of link some of these bigger topics that we typically teach in biology, such as evolution, to think to uh, information that is, you know, very relevant to uh, our lives today. That's it's one of those uh, my laundry list of books I should read. Um, I'll put the sixth extinction on my on my laundry list of books that I I wanna I wanna dive into. Actually, I saw that as part of a group of uh, of books. Um, all about extinctions. I, mean, I don't know if she she uses the term late quaternary extinction. Um, that's uh, that's the phrase that jumps to mind when the I see Anthropocene. I Anthropocene. Think yeah, yeah, Anthropocene is the other term that right. comes along there. Uh, late quaternary, maybe more from my college days. <laughs> that was the the phrase the phrasing that they started to use around that time. Yeah. Um, 
So I'll give my pick. Uh, my pick is uh, another podcast, which is, I know, it's a very strange uh, way to promote if you're in a podcast. But um, uh, personally, I, I'm a big podcast junkie. Obviously, I'm trying to start my own podcast here. We'll, we'll see how, uh, how successfully this goes. Um, but uh, I, I want to give a shout out to the Horizontal Transfer podcast. So if for whatever reason you are listening to this podcast, um, but you do not listen to the Horizontal Transfer podcast, I highly recommend it. Um, I'm going to put links to both uh, the book Brian referenced and the Horizontal Transfer into my show notes, uh, which I'll post on the website. Um, so uh, Horizontal Transfer is a podcast put out by Paul Anderson, you may know as Bozeman Biology, and David Kn- who you will know from the AP bio teacher communities. Uh, if you have not from other places, I know he's presented at many conferences as well. Um, and they basically do a weekly uh, banter about teaching and, uh, and they have a great uh, they have a great rapport with one another and they talk about a lot of ideas in teaching. Uh, they share a lot of the things that they've been successful in. Um, if you are not into podcasts, but you're into science teaching, I recommend checking it out. And if you are into podcasts and science teaching, um, you probably already know about it. But uh, if not, I will put the link so that you can uh, get access to their webpage. Um, uh, I've had uh, the good fortune to, to talk to both of them, both electronically and um, in a conversation online. And you know, they just do some amazing stuff. And uh, I think both of them are inspirational in different ways. You know, whether it's the the flipped classroom or whether it's you know just the approach to how do you help your students learn um, actively and help them reflect. I think both both of them are excellent practitioners of of, of quality science teaching. So I, I highly recommend that. So uh, with that, uh, that comes to the end of our first podcast. So uh, I'm hoping this is the first of many. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a pleasure, Aaron. I appreciate you having me on. Well, I, I appreciate it, Brian. Um, so uh, if you are interested in uh, show notes or any of the links, uh, you can go to lifeoftheschool.org. Um, I will post uh, some brief show notes there along with links to anything that we brought up during the conversation. Um, also links to the music. Uh, music for this was provided by Ex Magicians, a former student of mine, Jake Jenkins. Uh, and they, uh, Jake... <laughs> kindly uh, allowed me to uh, use one of their tunes to for intro and outro music. Uh, so uh, I hope everyone enjoyed this and I hope uh, everyone enjoys the many episodes to come. I know that uh, I have plans to record with a non-Massachusetts teacher coming up soon. So, all right. Well, thank you everybody for listening and I look forward to talking to you again soon.